Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for making AOA a part of your day here on this Friday, May 27th. Before we get into everything that's coming on today's show, I do want to give a big welcome. We've added to the AOA family. I'm really excited to welcome the listeners from WNAX Radio AM 570 out of Yankton, South Dakota, to the family of folks tuning in to the show today. Thank you, folks, and certainly hope you find a lot to think about here on AOA. And there is a lot happening in the world of agriculture. In segment two today, we're going to speak with Dr. Michael Dykes. He's the president and CEO of the International Dairy Foods Association. And we're going to talk about their Dairy Tech Conference that happened earlier this week down in, in Texas, in Austin. We're going to get some thoughts on what could be coming here in the world of dairy. And then at the end of the show, segments three and four, we are going to be speaking with our friend John Holzman. He's the geopolitical analyst from Milan, Italy. He'll be on. He's going to get us caught up on how things look on the ground in Eastern Europe, as well as what is developing in China and Taiwan. President Biden was in the news earlier this week for saying that the U.S. would militarily defend Taiwan if China attacked. How does that upset the global calculus with regard to foreign adversaries? So we will discuss that all with John later in the show. But before we get to any of that, ladies and gentlemen, Whew, the markets are moving today, the last day of this week. To bring some insight to that space is Darren Newsom. Darren joins us now. And Darren, my goodness, it was a quiet overnight session. But as daytime gets underway, we're seeing both corn and wheat starting to rally. Are these just traders not wanting to go home uh, without some ownership? Yeah, good morning, Mike. And, and again, I want to join you in welcoming WNAX. I've worked with those fine folks for many years. Good to know that they're now with you as well. Um, you know, it, it's an incredible thing. Yesterday it was all about soybeans. Should say Thursday it was all about soybeans, and today, you know, they seem to have kind of run their, their run, run their race. And so now they're leaving it open to uh, to corn and wheat. Quite frankly, there, there's no reason for wheat to go down. I mean, it's been under incredible pressure. We've seen July KC lose over a dollar eighty, July Kansas, July Chicago lose a buck seventy. All while we know fundamentally there, there's no there's no wheat out there uh, really to be harvested, at least in the certain hardwood winter crop. So it looks like we've got some uh, looks like we've got some buying interest to close out the week. It'll be interesting to see if we can hold it through the close over in corn. Yeah, it just looks like it's a flip-flop from yesterday, uh, where all the again all the buying attention was in uh, was in soybeans. And today, uh, to close out the week, it looks like they're more interested in corn. Uh, what could be driving this? It could be anything. You know, I still haven't really pinned anything on on yesterday's rally in soybeans. Anyway, the only thing we know is two things: one, old crop fundamentals are bullish. Basis has strengthened for 18 consecutive days. And new crop fundamentals are also bullish. The deep to July forward curve is inverted. And that's really all we know going into the three-day weekend. Darren, I want to circle back to yesterday's move in soybeans. That July contract was up over 50 cents there in the middle part of the day. I, I understand it's, you know, we're, we'll be pulling reasons from the sky if we're trying to rationalize it. But from your perspective, as a technical analyst, when we get a move like that 50 cents up during the day, how does that change how you read the chart? Can you discern anything from a big price spike like that? Yeah, you know, the, the biggest thing that we can see is that, you know, there was a it wasn't that it was large open interest in what, or open interest gains. It wasn't large trading volume. So from a technical point of view, it certainly blows everything out that we thought, okay, maybe we have this top in place. Well, now that's not necessarily the case because we go to new eyes. But what I found the most interesting is that if we watched the, uh, the bar chart national saving basis effects, and we watched it throughout the day. The theoretical price climbed over $17. It's like $17.03, $17.04. That was a new all-time high for that index going back to January 2014, a new all-time high for the intrinsic value of soybeans. So even if we don't know what the catalyst was, we do know that the intrinsic value of the market went to a new all-time high, and that tells us 
supplies are incredibly tight and they continue to tighten because there is a there is a relationship between cash price and real stocks to use, not the made-up version, but real stocks to use. And if we're hitting new all-time highs, possibly telling us we could be at record tight uh, stocks to use here in the U.S. for soybeans. Darren, if we're at record tight stocks to use, and we need to start seeing that uh, you know, that drawdown in demand happen, who do you think is going to be first impact? Is it going to be the livestock feed sector? Is it the, the biofuel sector? Who is going to be priced out of beans here north of 17 bucks? Yeah, you know, that is, that's the great question. My, my initial response, my blink reaction, is this blink being the mouth of Gladwell, but my blink reaction would be it's going to come on the crush side. Because right now, there's one big exporter. Excuse me, there's one big buyer in the world that we're exporting to. We haven't seen a lot of cancellations, but we're starting to see a few. But they still need soybeans, and we're still quite a ways away from South American harvest. You mentioned that you're going to be talking to someone about the developments between China and the U.S. a little later in your program. That would be fascinating to listen to because there was an interesting set of statements coming from the administration earlier this week. Right now, China still exporting U.S. beans. We're not seeing a lot of purchases anymore, but there's a lot of them on the books already for next year as well. So let's see how all this plays out. Right now we know China needs soybeans. That means if we're going to see a reduction, probably going to come from the crush side. All right, that makes sense. Darren, I want to turn our focus back to the wheat market. Spring wheat in particular was speaking to a friend of mine in North Dakota this morning. He said there's the possibility they might be able to get in, start throwing some seed down today. But boy, it looks tough as the weekend comes to a close. More rain in the forecast. What's happening in this spring wheat market? Darren, why aren't we moving higher faster? Or, or do you think we're on the right well, track? I think we're on the right track. I mean, we've got the September contract. Uh, you know, just did go to a new last week. It went to a new all, uh, recently went to a new high for this round, up around you know just over fourteen dollars. It's backed off. Uh, you know, as we look at the weather forecast, North Dakota is supposed to see some rain again this weekend. So you know, they may make some planting progress. It's not all going to get planted. I know there's been a lot of talk about prevent plant. DTN's Chris Clayton had a really good article out yesterday about the idea of possibly extending those insurance dates. Uh, across the northern plains to, to allow more area to possibly get planted. But then you're dealing with freeze, you know, and we're talking about corn and soybeans and all that. So it's going to be an interesting uh, summer, obviously. But the big issue is Minneapolis spring wheat is high. Right now merchandisers are on the sidelines because there's just nothing out there to buy. If we go into another harvest, if we go into another crop year when there's not going to be any production and supplies are going to continue to tighten, this market will probably try to push higher again. We've seen it this week. Markets go down, wheat markets go down, but Minneapolis always seems to find its way back into the green by the end of the day. So, you know, there's just this underlying support, extremely bullish fundamental, very tight supplies. Fantastic. Darren, where can folks follow along for you, with you to keep up on your information? Easiest way to do it is just go to darrenlucent.com, go over to the menu and our services menu and sign up for the seven-day free trial and see what you think. Folks, check that out, DarrenNewsom.com. Darren, always appreciate your insight. And folks, stick with us. Dr. Michael Dykes, President and CEO of the International Dairy Food Association, will be with us after the break. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Your diesels are your engines of prosperity, so they deserve the best treatment. And with FS Fuel and Lubricant, you'll give them the gold standard. Diesel X Gold High Performance Fuel plus Suprex Gold ESP Engine Oil. Formulated to work together, they'll keep your diesels running longer and stronger, from farming to construction to trucking. Visit FSGoldStandard.com or talk with your local FS Energy Specialist. FS, bringing you what's next. 
The average American eats 250 eggs per year, which translates to a total annual consumption of 76.5 billion eggs in the U.S. About 60% of eggs produced here in the U.S. are used by consumers and about 9% are used by the food service industry. A chef's hat is said to have a pleat for each of the many ways you can cook eggs. The color can range from white to deep brown. Hens with white feathers and earlobes lay white-shelled eggs, while hens with red feathers and earlobes lay brown-shelled eggs. Because breeds that lay brown eggs are typically slightly larger, Larger birds, they require more food, making brown eggs usually more expensive than white. You can tell whether an egg is fresh or stale by dropping it in water. A fresh egg will sink, but a stale one will float. Eggs also contain all the essential protein, minerals, and vitamins, and egg yolks are one of the few foods that naturally contain vitamin D. And eggs are also good for your eyes because they contain lutein, which helps prevent age-related cataracts and muscle degeneration. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Most folks just stick with the diesel engine oil they know, because why sweat the details? But you don't. You're one of those who'd make the switch, and we're talking to you. Senex Maxtron synthetic diesel engine oils give you the smartest oil for the toughest conditions. While the others experience wear and tear, you give complacency a kick in the pants. Senex Maxtron diesel engine oils, oil that runs smart. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for making this a part of your day here on this Friday. You know, it has been a very busy week. A lot of folks getting together this past week to talk about issues in the world of agriculture. Well, really, the entire month of May is a, is a big month for that. And if we go back just a little bit farther to last week, there was the Dairy Tech Conference that happened down in Austin, Texas. Joining me to talk about it today, as well as some of the other issues confronting the dairy industry, is Dr. Michael Dykes. He's the president and CEO of IDFA. That's the International Dairy Foods Association. Dr. Dykes, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Mike. Bring us up to speed on Dairy Tech. This was the inaugural event. Michael, how did it go? Went very well, Mike. We were extremely pleased with it. As you said, it was the inaugural event. Uh, we did this uh, partnership with Dairy.com. We had, uh, I don't know, uh, around approximately 130 people, uh, all aspects of technology and people that are uh, engaged in, in, the, in the sector. Uh, very pleased with the outcome. That is fantastic. And as we think about technology working its way farther and farther into all sectors of agriculture, everybody is sort of working with this transition to digital. Dr. Dykes, and I know that that was the, the inaugural presentation at the inaugural Dairy Tech Conference. Was you talking about that transformation? How do you see it impacting the dairy sector? You know, Mike, I see uh, technology impacting all of us dairy all sectors of agriculture our own impacting our own daily lives and i mentioned uh digital transformation of the dairy industry one of my very first uh dairy farm speeches uh, four years ago or so uh and it clearly is happening and we see it uh, advancing every day in the dairy sector 
you know, Mike, as a kid growing up on a farm, dairy farm, milking cows by hand, and I think today about robotic milkers, uh, absolutely phenomenal <clears throat> new ways to uh, monitor cows for heat detection so we can get our dairy cows bred uh, more efficiently. I think about the processing plants, uh, the, the automation inside the plants. Uh, it, it is simply amazing. You think about our own personal lives. Think about what technology has done. You know, 15 years ago, Mike, we didn't have cell phones. Uh, think about the days before ATMs uh, when, when you couldn't get cash on the weekends. Think about replacement body parts, hips. Uh, 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 when you had a heart attack years ago, you were dead without uh, bypass surgery, which we have today. Uh, EKG on your cell phone today. It's, it's just simply amazing the things that technology has done for us and brought us. It certainly is. It, 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 yeah, you mentioned not being able to get cash on the weekends prior to ATMs. Yeah, these things, they, they become part of our lives and then they move on as the technology grows. But Michael, as the technology use grows, so do concerns. I know cybersecurity was a top uh, topic there at the Dairy Tech Conference. What are the risks to the dairy industry from a cybersecurity perspective? Well, we work every day at IDFA, uh, Mike, to make sure our, our members have the latest information on that. We have worked with the University of Minnesota Food Defense Department. Uh, we have worked with McKinsey and Company. Uh, we are, we've created a, a, a sharing group uh, of our IDFA members so that the chief information officers, the chief technology officers, all the IT experts from our member companies come together share the latest and uh, one of the most recent uh, events we had uh, the sharing group was a member sharing their experience with a cyber attack and uh, kind of what they what they experienced uh, the steps I put in place uh, and it's an ever-changing landscape uh, how do we counter cyber crime uh, and our members are all over it and when we deal with a perishable product like milk and dairy products uh, it, it's times of the essence that we deal with these with these issues and how do we manage them and how do we kind of uh, prevent the profound impacts that they can have. And the other thing I would say too, Mike, is I'm very pleased with the way that our IDFA members come together to assist one another so that if one plant is shut down because of a cyber crime, the neighboring plants take the milk and process it so that we... Uh, uh, can make sure that we continue to, to get the milk from the farms and turn that into wholesome, nutritious dairy products for consumers. Neighbors looking after neighbors, just like what happens if, you're, if your neighbor farmer gets sick at harvest time, you jump in and, and help the family keep working. Michael, you wrapped up year number one, good crowd, a lot of good concepts under discussion. Does it look like dairy tech year two is going to happen? Yes, yes. We leave uh, year one, inaugural event, excited. Uh, we have new ideas that we'll put in place. Uh, we'll, we are looking forward to year two, and we fully anticipate uh, Dairy Tech just growing from where it is. I mean, technology, Mike, is just so pervasive and has such a profound impact uh, on our operations and, as I said, on our daily life. You know, and the other thing is, Mike, uh, we didn't talk about new product innovations, but uh, I have said it in my past dairy farm speeches, uh, we will see new fractions in milk that will have beneficial health effects that we don't even know about today. I said in January 2020 at Dairy Farm, uh, before COVID, that we would see more change in the dairy industry in the next five years than we've seen in the last 15. Mike, I, I, I may have missed it. It may happen faster than that. Uh, that's the speed by which technology is advancing. Yeah, it is incredible. And to see it moving on to farms and into processing facilities throughout the country and keep those places cutting edge is fantastic for the overall state of the industry. And Dr. Dyke, since we've got you here, I want to talk to you more broadly about the state of the dairy industry, specifically dairy moving into Canada. Last Friday, we spoke with Becky Rasdell of IDFA about the current battle. Where do things sit right now with regard to getting U.S. dairy into Canada like we're supposed to be under USMCA? Well, great question, Mike. Uh, and I know this will come as no surprise to your many listeners. 
when it comes to dairy policy with Canada, it's always a complicated uh, issue. And the Canadians, in quite simple terms, the Canadian government simply does not want to comply with the written text that they agreed to in the USMCA. It comes down to that simple. So since you last talked to Becky, who's uh, a member of my team and doing a fabulous job on the, on the trade issues for our IDFA members, uh, on just this week, USTR has initiated a second consultation, which is exactly one year from the first consultation that they uh, did with Canada to say, hey, we don't agree with the way you're administering your TRQs. Let's do a consultation period. We're not optimistic that that is going to bear fruit. We hope it does, but we also know how complicated it is when you deal with Canada on dairy process, uh, dairy market access, and on dairy policy. So if that doesn't uh, result in change, uh, USTR has said they will take it to, the, uh, to a second panel for adjudication. Um, we'll see how, what, what that brings. Uh, but we think the U.S. government needs to be uh, uh, totally mindful of the difficulties of working with Canada on dairy policy, and it's time to think about initiating retaliation, because if we don't, every time they change the regulations, Mike, then you'll have to do another uh, consultation and dispute mechanism, uh, and this could go on four or five times, and uh, it could be four or five years. So yeah, uh, and it's like Groundhog Day, Dr. Dykes. We just went through this a year ago. Your team brought all these facts to bear. You convinced the USTR that China wasn't following the rule, or excuse me, not China, Canada wasn't following the rules. And now almost exactly a year later, we're here again. So that retaliatory conversation, do you see that happening here potentially over the summer into the fall? Is this coming shortly? Yes, it, we, we could see a new panel report and findings uh, in early 2023. But, but Mike, the reason I, I say retaliation is we've seen this uh, in other countries. We've seen Indonesia go four or five times because I said each time they change the regulations, now you've got to go back and file new claims. So they just keep, keep doing a new and new regulations on you. The other thing that I think is interesting, Canada has withheld part of the TRQs that they even even put forward, which are not in compliance with the USMCA, but they are threatening to retaliate on a proposed tax credit for electric vehicles that was one of the proposals in the Build Back Better, which never passed Congress. Oh, geez, and now they're going to hold us accountable for it, even though it didn't happen. Always things to talk about in the world of dairy. Thanks to Michael Dykes and the International Dairy Food Association for keeping track of these issues and for giving us the time to bring us up to speed. We appreciate it, Dr. Dykes. And folks, stick with us. John Holzman, geopolitical strategist, will be joining us in segment number three. We'll talk about the situation developing in Europe. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. If you're not filling with Senex Premium Diesel, then you're not giving your fuel system the premium treatment. Senex Roadmaster XL comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, while restoring your power by up to 4.5% and your fuel economy by up to 5%. Typical number two diesel? I guess it covers the basics. Zenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, Farm Radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Let's take a look at this market trade. We were expecting maybe a fairly quiet, choppy day ahead of the three-day holiday weekend, but that is not the case as core to Minneapolis wheat are both leading markets higher here early on Friday. Spot soybeans and products are mixed in quiet trade just ahead of the long Memorial Day weekend. A Minneapolis new crop wheat 
surging on ideas that some spring wheat fields may not get planted in a timely fashion, which would be a drag on yield. And wheat in general stronger as the far-fetched Russian help with opening export corridors for Ukraine grain is really falling by the wayside. A lot of the skepticism is starting to overtake the entire market. Now, yesterday, soybean prices surged at the expense of corn as previously placed intermarket spreads were unwound on Thursday. But again, today, it's looking like the soy complex is going to take a backseat to corn and wheat. As we watch, uh, we'll get a better handle on what happened this past week in Tuesday afternoon's crop progress report. The Northern Plains has had a window of drying, but that window is closing this weekend if the forecast uh, verifies with rain chances here throughout the weekend. So, You'll be watching this uh, very closely in the next week to see how much was planted across the northern tier and try to get a better handle on it as we head into the month of June. Numbers right now, July quarter up 10, 775. December up 9.5, 728 and a quarter. Soybeans for July up 1.5, 1728. November down 3 and a quarter, 1541 and a half. July bean meal up 70 cents a ton, 428.90. July bean oil up 2 points, 80.54. Chicago wheat July up 12, 11.55 and a quarter. September up 11 to three quarters, 11.63 and three quarters. July Kansas City wheat up seven to three quarters, 12.36 and a quarter. July spring wheat up 23 and a half, 13.15 and three quarters. And in cattle and hogs, quietly mixed either side of unchanged. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We We win. We, we, we We are are the the Foundation foundation Fighting fighting blindness. Blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA Today. You know, agriculture is one of the most globally connected industries here in the United States. Our fate, truly the prices we are paid at the farm gate, depend in a large part to what is happening around the world as those global grain flows ebb and change. So it's vital that we keep up to speed on what is happening around the world. And today, folks, for our new listeners, we're going to be talking to John Hulsman. John checks in from time to time, graces us with his presence on on the show and you may have seen him around john is one of the very few commentators who touches on geogra- geolo- geographical and political issues who has actually appeared on both fox news and msnbc he's a writer at substack you can find him at johnholsman.substack.com highly recommend his podcast around the world in 20 minutes and john joins us today we appreciate you taking the time to meet us on the show here today john Mike, it's great to be here. You're my last stop before a weekend Italian wedding, so I'm looking forward to the next period of time. Fantastic. Well, hey, we will get you out of here quickly, John. But before we let you go, of course, we've got to talk about what is happening. And I want to speak first about the claims made earlier this week by Vladimir Putin that he'd be willing to allow more food exports in exchange for waiving sanctions. You talk to a lot of folks around the world, particularly in Europe. When this call came out, John, what was the response? Is it a non-starter? It's an absolute non-starter. This is Putin trying to get out from under because the sanctions are really biting on the Russians. For instance, SWIFT, which is how I move money from place to place, from bank account to bank account in the West, isn't open to the Russians, so they can't trade in practice with Western countries. And this has cut them at the knees. But what Putin has done in response, he's taken over half of the Black Sea coastline from Crimea back through Mariupol and the Sea of Azov to the Donbass, 
and he's blockading Odessa and the rest of the Black Sea, knowing that Ukraine is a breadbasket of the world and that North Africa is utterly dependent on Ukrainian grain. And this is a bank shot to say, if you don't lessen the sanctions, we're going to weaponize food. And then there's going to be a migration crisis as the North Africans take off for the European coast. And that's the game plan here. But no, it's an absolute non-starter. You touched on that that stretch of ground that Putin is seeking to control there in the Donbass all the way across through Crimea. As this advancement happens, John, are we getting a more clear picture of Putin's strategic goals here in the Ukraine? Yeah, I mean, he's since we, we've talked this through, Mike, he, he's gone from wanting to take over the whole of the country. He thought he could take Ukraine, which is a country bigger than France. It's a gigantic landmass in two weeks in Kiev, the capital, in two days. And the blitzkrieg utterly failed. And the Ukrainians, to many people's surprise, have heroically resisted. Now there's a much simpler plan. It's to move. They already control part of the two most eastern provinces of Ukraine called the Donbass. The first province, Luhansk, they control 90% of. This last week, they've taken another 5%. They almost have the whole of Luhansk. Then they're going to head into Donetsk, the ne next province. And this plus the land bridge we were talking about is about as far as they can go. Then look for Putin to unilaterally declare a ceasefire and see if anybody will be buying that. But that's the limited plan. It's no longer to take over all of Ukraine. It's to eat it in bite-sized portions. John, if Russia, if Putin's goal here is successful in getting his way to that ceasefire, will that leave Ukraine with any export opportunities through the, the Black Sea? No, and, and that's the point. It would leave Ukraine, and Mike, you're onto it, exactly landlocked. Odessa is the major port, and the, the Ukrainians look like they can hold that. But if they mine the rest of the Black Sea, the Russians, that would put pay to Ukraine using that. And that's the goal. Putin's number one goal is to make Ukraine a satellite of Russia, as we've said. The number two goal, if he can't achieve that, is to leave it a basket case so that it's seen that anybody who sides with the West fails. That would be a goal he could live with. But frankly, Ukraine will not accept this. Eastern Europe won't accept this. The United States will not accept this. And in return in the summer, given the wherewithal we've given the Ukrainians, there will be a summer of counteroffensive back over this Russian territory. And you're thinking that summer counteroffensive will come once that that large sum of foreign aid money makes its way to Ukraine and they can start spending it on armaments? Yeah, there's that. And it also just takes time to learn how to use the arms. It takes a number of weeks to get troops acquainted with the weaponry. And so we're looking at somewhere between late June and August that the Ukrainians would be ready to use all this wherewithal to strike back. So the last thing the Ukrainians want is a ceasefire at the height of Russian power. On the other hand, the Western Europeans are desperate to stop the war at almost any cost. So there may be divisions within the West, but I have no doubt that there's going to be a counteroffensive in the summer. All right. Well, as we think about how the West is responding, you know, one of the Putin's goals, I think, early on was kind of fracturing Europe. And instead, it's really come together. NATO looks like it's going to be growing potentially. John, what's your take on Sweden and Finland coming into NATO? Well, this is great. I mean, yes, Putin, in a sense, has already lost the war. And, and on the big geostrategic front, he's united a NATO that, that French President Macron said was brain dead yes, just two years ago. Now Sweden and Finland, long neutral, are clamoring to join NATO. And this is wonderful. Both of them meet all the qualifications. They're democracies. They're thriving capitalistic countries. And in the case of both, they have real militaries. I've worked with the Swedish military on and off for 20 years. They have a wonderful intelligence faction. They know the Russians well. They have good naval and air forces. And Finland has a conscript army, which actually works in an 800-mile border with Russia. I mean, these two countries, and I'm very skeptical about extending NATO to countries that don't add to its security. These two countries add to its security. And so unwittingly, Putin has unified the West. And this is how history works. People make mistakes. It's more Hamlet than Macbeth. <laughs> that, that is a great point. I'm curious, though, about Finland joining NATO. I understand one of the requirements to join is no border disputes. And John, they've got an 800-mile border. Would all Russia have to do is launch a little something or, or claim a border dispute in order to keep Finland out? No, I mean, th th that is right. But the way that, that this is adjudicated is border disputes with other NATO members. And Finland has none of those. And so, gotcha. and so the only thing that keeps them out, really, is, is President Erdogan of Turkey, who's unhappy 
that both Finland and Sweden are traditionally strong on human rights and that some of his uh, detractors, particularly Kurt, Turkish Kurds, have sought asylum in Finland and Sweden, and he doesn't like this at all, and he's threatening to veto them unless they either hand people over or stop giving people asylum. Erdogan doesn't care that much about NATO and cares an awful lot about Turkey, so that's really the only stone in the shoe at the moment. Gotcha. And as we think about Turkey's objections to the these two countries joining NATO, John, this seems like it's kind of really the, the first crack in the Western world sticking up here to Russia. Do you think this uh, this this sort of camaraderie we have with other countries in the West opposed to Russia is going to fade? I mean, I think the goal must be to keep the alliance together. I mean, this was the great success of Eisenhower, one of my great political heroes, was People made fun of him and said he was a political general. Well, of course he was. His job is to keep the winning alliance together, the West together, the Anglosphere countries, the English-speaking countries of the UK, Australia, Canada, are much stronger when they're united with Japan, with the United States, and with the EU. Nobody can beat that alliance. And so we want people trying to keep that together at a good deal of cost. Turkey has always been an outlier given its different history religion, geography, ethnicity. It's a wonderful place. I go all the time. But spending the time to try to meet their concerns halfway is well worth the effort. Frustrating, though, it is often I want to pull my hair out when I'm dealing with the Turks. But it's well worth it because right now they are in a key geopolitical position because they control the Bosphorus, which controls the Black Sea. And so it's worth our time seeing if we can work out some sort of fudge that meets Erdogan's concerns so we can get Finland and Sweden, and because keeping that alliance together is the key to victory. John, you live in Milan, Italy, and we hear a lot in this country about food inflation and inflation more broadly. I was wondering if you could give us just an update from the ground in Europe. What does inflation look like, and are you seeing it be especially pernicious in food? It is, and and I you know I was in the supermarket, Mike, just yesterday, which is not something I always do, I admit, but I went with my partner and we went shopping. And the two things you notice is that prices are significantly up, say eight to ten percent of staples, but there's fewer choices as well. That's been interesting. That you know, rather than having it's just Heinz ketchup now and, and and barbecue sauce, but you don't have the mango flavor. All the exotic stuff is gone because the supply chain is in real trouble. And the Europeans, as you said, that, you know, Russia and Ukraine together are two both agriculture exploiting, ex exporting countries. And this could really tamp things down. And for North Africa, this would be catastrophic. The staple of Egypt, a huge, important country in North Africa, is bread from Ukraine. They have a supply in advance of only about a week. So if this is shut off going a few months ahead, there are going to be real migration issues and a real problem. This is the weaponization of food by Putin, no doubt about it. And everybody's concerned about it here. The, the migrant issue, of course, it's not that far back in our memory that we remember all those migrants crossing the Med to get to Europe. John, well, is there talk in Italy that that could be coming again this summer? Absolutely. I mean, if right now there are tons of food in Ukrainian storage bins in the harvest, they have to be moved out so that the new harvest can be put in, as you all know. And if this rots and they don't get a steady supply of food from Egypt, it won't be very long before you see people heading across the Mediterranean Sea, which is a very narrow inlet. It looks much larger on a map, or at least the maps I saw growing up than it is. And there's a great danger that Southern Europe could be imperiled by this. And Putin is using every weapon he has because he didn't expect the West to be unified and fight so well and in such a financial way against him. We've weaponized the dollar against him. He's weaponizing food against us. Well, folks, we are going to keep Mr. Hulsman around for one more segment, so stay with us. We're going to look over to Asia next. There are some comments coming out about Taiwan and China. We'll get John's insight on how that could play out when AOA returns after this break. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? 
Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Each week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. Tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. I drive my bus in a busy city. That's why road safety is so important to me. I know that I must slow down and be extra careful when I make a wide turn. Buses need more room than cars. Everyone can help keep our roads safe. Next time you're driving, remember to give buses plenty of time and space to finish turning before driving ahead. Let's all plan to share the road safely. Learn how at www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. Soil, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Soil Ship Enterprise to explore soil life, to boldly grow where cover crops have never grown before. Farmer's Log, soil date 31655.4. We've come across some strange but incredibly helpful life forms. We didn't have to travel far to find them, but these organisms have proven invaluable on our trip through the solar system. They help feed us by nourishing and protecting our crops. They've built our soil structure to make it more resilient to the harsh weather we encounter. Our sensors indicate they're even helping us store carbon that plants take out of the atmosphere and put it back into the soil. Guess you can say our living and life-giving soil is the best thing to cling on to. Um, sorry. <clears throat> That's soil fleet humor. <laughs> Visit your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today and learn more about the basics and benefits of soil health. This message brought to you by USDA and this radio station. Chris Domine is a husband, father, an athlete, even an Iron Man. But 10 years ago, Chris's kidneys were failing. The doctor said, if you don't get a kidney transplant, you are going to die. Chris received a second chance, made possible by an organ donor. Your well-being changes from loss of hope to better times ahead. What could you make possible as an organ, eye, and tissue donor? Leave behind the gift of life. Go to organdonor.gov, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. How many acres are you keeping an eye on? Another pair of eyes could be very helpful in protecting your ROI, especially ones that are highly trained. And that's what you'll get with an FS Crop Specialist. They can spot issues you might not even know you have using the latest technology, including thermal, drone, and NDVI imaging. Then they can get an early treatment plan started. Contact your local FS Crop Specialist to learn more about our crop scouting services. It's one more way FS is bringing you what's next. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.
keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. If you're just tuning in, we have been talking with John Holzman, geopolitical risk analyst, and we've been talking about the situation in Europe, Eastern Europe in particular, but now it's time to go half a world away over to Asia. John, we had President Biden come out and say that the U.S. would defend Taiwan militarily if China attacked. From your perspective, when you heard him say that comment, what popped through your mind? At last. Uh, this was the worst kept secret in the world. And in, it, in the Cold War, it made some sense. It was called strategic ambiguity. And it was a fudge that the United States said there is only one China without ever clarifying what that meant. The Chinese communist government in Beijing said, we will not go out of our way to take this over militarily if we can help it. And the United States said, we will give, we will not necessarily fight for Taiwan if it's attacked, but we'll give them all the weapons they need. And whether we fight for them or not will be left as a question mark. And this is how we managed to have an alliance with China during the Cold War against the Soviets under Nixon and Kissinger. And that's all fine. But 50 years later, with China as a superpower, this isn't so clever because the last thing we want while the world's attention is diverted with Ukraine is China to miscalculate and think while the Americans are preoccupied, we can waltz into Taiwan and there won't be any problem because I've always assumed the United States would defend Taiwan for all kinds of reasons. And sure enough, Biden is just clarifying what I think is one of the worst kept secrets in Washington. But that doesn't necessarily mean they knew it in Beijing. So I'm glad he said it. I'm less glad he tended to walk it back in the usual communications waffle that's the problem with the current White House. Yeah, he did sort of walk it back, but it sounds as though the Chinese are taking it seriously. There was another comment here made by uh, uh, Director Xi, I believe he said, this is a solemn warning to the recent U.S.-Taiwan collusion activities, and he says that their military can defend the country. So are tensions heating up over Taiwan, or is this just the tensions are always there and now they've bubbled to the surface? I think it's just to the surface. I mean, I, again, I'm all for strategic clarity because then you don't get World War I situations where people horribly miscalculate. And drawing clear lines is good realist philosophy, which is what most Americans in base are since Alexander Hamilton and ought to be. Uh, Taiwan, by the way, makes 85% of all advanced industrial computer chips. Literally every computer you can think of uses them. They are a democratic country. They are a capitalistic country. They are a longstanding American ally. And they're the key to dominating the North Pacific for the United States. For all these reasons, the United States was always going to defend them because if they didn't defend them, the rest of America's alliance system in the Indo-Pacific would go away because no one would believe America would come to their defense, obviously. And that would leave China the dominant power in the fastest growing region of the world. And that's in nobody's interest. With that being said, John, with, with the, the, the Chinese, are they taking this to heart? Do, do you think that we are going to see them back off given the pushback that's been happening around the world with the response to Russian uh, advancement in Ukraine? Well, they are concerned because, of course, nobody thought that the economic sanctions would be nearly so stiff as they've been or the West so unified. And China's eminently more connected to the global economy than Russia is. I mean, Russia's GDP is the size of the state of Texas. Russia is an aging gas station with nuclear weapons. China, on the other hand, is one of the two economic superpowers in the world. And so this certainly has caused them to pause about how easy it would be economically and the price they pay. And the other thing that nobody talks about but's important is this is the year that in the autumn the Communist Party meets in their Congress and Xi wants to be appointed president for life like Mao. The last thing he wants to do right now is scare the horses. So in the short run, I think this is huffing and puffing. Afterwards, there's about a five-year window of maximum danger for Taiwan. But for the rest of the year, he doesn't want any trouble at all. He wants this succession to be as smooth as possible. And that means calming down the horses. John, with Chinese growth slowing down, with their COVID zero policy still in place, it seems like there's a lot of uncertainty there in China. Do you think Xi is going to get his president for life nomination? Well, this is fascinating to watch. I mean, the key thing to watch, he certainly will be confirmed for a third term. That's the default position. If that happens, that means his enemies stopped him being confirmed for life. So that would actually be, although it would look fine on the surface, 
that would be a major, major defeat for Xi. I still think given all the problems and many of them of his own making, uh, he's certainly not helped them macroeconomically by funding the very inefficient state-owned enterprises and by bullying everyone in the Indo-Pacific. He's made the region far more pro-American, but I still think he is confirmed for life. But that is something absolutely, Mike, we're going to be watching with an eagle's eye. Well, and Xi's confirmation is coming at the same time we're discussing this Indo-Pacific economic framework to counter China. John, are we on the right page here starting these discussions with these uh, countries around the Indo-Pacific region? We absolutely are. This is the part of the world that's actually growing. This is the part of the world that is that is by far the most vibrant and dynamic. And we absolutely want to crack these markets. And these countries want to do more with us because most of them have China as their largest trading partner. And they would like to diversify, not do away with Chinese trade, but diversify it so they're not economically in the pockets of the Chinese because they trade with China and get security from us. So the logical corollary to this is that they do more economically with us. And this could open up some real opportunities for us. It certainly can. Economic opportunities for sure in the offing. But John, politically, is there a way we can use this economic framework discussion to nudge some of these countries in ways we'd like to see? And what would those be in your mind? Well, to some extent, this has already happened. I mean, we've seen the Japanese agrarian system, which has always been very protectionist. Uh, talk about liberalization because Shinzo Abe, the former prime minister and still kingmaker in Japan, has said, look, you have to do reforms so we can do a broader economic framework precisely because of geopolitics, because we can't let the Chinese run roughshod economically over all the Indo-Pacific. And he actually moved agricultural protectionism in Japan, which is frankly something I never lived to see. So that link is being made and it's a way to pry open our allies markets, which helps us geostrategically and certainly economically. Folks, if you want to keep up to date with John's thoughts on the global risk setup, visit his Substack. You can find him at johnhulsman.substack.com. John, we always appreciate your insights. That's a great fun, Mike, and I'll have a piece of cake at the Italian wedding for you. Please do. And folks, tune in on Monday. It will be a best of show on Memorial Day. We'll be back on Tuesday talking to Dan Halstrom of the USMEF. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. It's been said that when someone you love has Parkinson's, you have Parkinson's. The Parkinson's Foundation knows that the disease doesn't just affect the diagnosed. It affects everyone who supports and helps care for them. If you or someone you know is living with Parkinson's, a neurological disease that affects movement, we understand that it can be difficult to know where to find help. If you have questions, the Parkinson's Foundation has answers. Answers for everyone in the fight. We can help you understand the disease. Help you find expert care and local support give you tips for living a better life, and share the latest research. Find your answers and join us in the fight against Parkinson's. To learn more, please go to parkinson.org. Or call 1-800-473-4636. That's 1-800-473-4636. The Parkinson's Foundation. Better, better lives, lives together. together.